Welcome friends to Infertility and Me podcast, a safe space created with the silent sufferer in mind. I Am Podcast is dedicated to infertility advocacy and sharing diverse stories to help you feel validated, seen, and heard. I am your host, Monique Farouk, and I am one in eight two. Healing is best when done together. Hey friend, could you please do me the honor of leaving a five-star rating and review in Apple iTunes? This will increase our show's ranking and reach more friends who may be silently suffering with infertility too. We're stronger together, staying connected, getting plugged in. New Year. I hope that you had a blast and was able to connect in a small, small group of friends and or family and celebrate the new year, whatever that means for you and your life in general. We didn't do too much. We stayed home. We stayed safe and celebrated the new year together as a family and We just had a couple of libations and Omar Jr. stayed up until he couldn't keep his eyelids open anymore. And so we're just so blessed and fortunate to see another year together as a family and not having lost anyone who may have succumbed to COVID or any other form of sicknesses. And I hope that your family is safe as well and that no one has been affected by COVID if you're an essential worker I'm always having you in my thoughts and prayers that you stay safe, that you do not contract COVID. And if you do, you fully recover. Sending love, crazy, crazy amounts of sticky, icky baby dust to you all for the new year to expand your family and to feel connected as a community. You can reach me on Instagram at Infertility and Me Podcast. You can always reach me on the website at infertilityandmepodcast.com as well as by email. If you want to send me a note, send me some feedback, or just say hey or collaborate, you can send me an email at monique at infertilityandmepodcast.com. I am so freaking excited because today's episode is the first episode or installment of a new segment of the show that I hope sticks around for quite a while to give space for others in the community who may not be comfortable sharing publicly. And so today's episode is our first episode of the Anonymous Infertility Warriors segment of the show. I will still have public episodes released as I record and get requests to be on the show, and those will be featured on Tuesdays. And so Fridays will now feature our Anonymous Infertility Warriors segment. And so that if it tapers off and I don't get many requests for anonymous infertility warriors. I'll still have public episodes for you guys to connect with other warriors who wish to be connected with you all. And I thank you guys for just being here and 
for allowing me to create this safe space for you to tell your stories, for you to listen, to be seen, to be heard, and to feel validated, and to advocate for infertility, and just creating a loving community centered around this particular podcast. There's so many other great podcasts and resources, so I thank you for being here with me as well. And today's story is with a friend who goes by the name of Barb. That is her anonymous name. It is not her real name. And she shares with us today her secondary and unexplained infertility story. We also speak about miscarriages that Bob and her husband have gone through, getting pregnant with her first uh, baby, navigating IVF treatment while being a mother to a toddler, and being an A-type woman navigating infertility in a male-dominated field and an analytical-minded field in marriage. And you'll have to stick around to the end of the episode to find out what Barb would say if she was standing face-to-face with infertility. So you don't want to miss out on that. And if you'd like to be featured as an anonymous infertility warrior, you can email me, Monique, at infertility endmepodcast.com or you can visit the website and if you scroll down to the bottom of the page you will see an anonymous infertility warriors logo with a picture and you can submit your anonymous infertility warrior story and I will contact you and get more information for you so that we can connect on the show and record so I encourage you to do that so that you can get some things off your chest in a safe space, in a loving environment, and also to help another infertility warrior. And as always, you can go to the website. You can go to the Get in Touch area of the website, and you can submit publicly as well to be on the show. I thank you, friends, for being here with us today. In the new year, 2021 is here. I am so excited, and I hope that you are too. We'll be back in just a second with Barb. Thank you, Barb, for coming on to the podcast and sharing anonymously about your journey with secondary infertility and kind of like where you and your family are right now. It's a huge, huge step to come into a public platform and share your life in such a vulnerable time of your life. So I appreciate you so much, dear. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So I just want to do an icebreaker question. So how did you and your spouse meet? Was it at college? Was it through your work or a family friend, like a blind date? (laughs) Yeah, we met through a mutual friend of mine from college, the friend of his from growing up. And she has been a matchmaker once and Mm -hmm. said she's never going to try again. (laughs) And he was a bridesmaid in her wedding and a dear, dear friend still to this day. So beautiful. And so you guys have a child already. We do. We have a four and a half year old. Okay. And did you have any struggles conceiving the first time? We did. We had one miscarriage before we had our first. And, you know, that was at the time seeming sort of normal. I had Mm -hmm. known a few people that had had miscarriages. We knew it was fairly common and it was a pretty early miscarriage, five to six weeks. And, And we tried again a few months later and were able to get pregnant naturally. Wonderful. And okay, so you guys really didn't have a break before you ended up getting pregnant again. I know a lot of people take breaks in between miscarriages and things. Yeah, we I think we took a few months, three months, I think, and and then jumped right back in. And so when did you guys decide that you wanted to try for a sibling? 
Yeah, we always intended to have more than one child. It was never my intention to have an only child. Um, both mm-hmm. my husband and I have siblings, and we just sort of thought that would be how our family would, would look. And so our son was about two when we started to sort of recover from the sleep deprivation and <laughs> mm. all of that and think, okay, maybe we could we could do this. And, you know, both at points in our careers where it was reasonable. And and then that's when we had continued miscarriages. So I've had three more miscarriages since mm. the birth of my son. So so five pregnancies, four losses and, and one beautiful child. Wow, wow, wow. Now, when you when you had your miscarriages, were they natural pregnancies or had you been going to treatments? They were. They were all natural pregnancies. Okay. So after I had two miscarriages after my child, we, we did see an infertility doctor and did every test they have. Uh, as mm-hmm. many people listening can probably understand, I feel like they took so many vials of blood. I'm like, how can there be yeah. any blood left inside of me? <laughs> and we did the internal ultrasounds and uh, sort of did a whole battery of, of tests and every single thing they tested was normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the infertility doctor we met with said, you know, you have two options. One option would be that you start IVF. And if, if you do IVF, they were recommending testing the chromosomes because they were predicting that the miscarriages were caused by chromosomal abnormalities mm-hmm. because they had kind of ruled out everything else. So that was option one. And option two was that we could continue to try on our own and that you know, it was probably just bad odds and that, you know, the odds would hopefully work in our favor. And we knew we were able to get pregnant, you know, sort of becoming pregnant wasn't necessarily our, our challenge. Um, it was it was keeping the pregnancy. So we, we really grappled with that and, and what to do and the financial implications. And, and we ultimately decided with the, you know, the advice and recommendation from the, the doctor that we would try one more time on our own and, and did have another miscarriage. And so that was, you know, such a blow for us because I just felt like they tested us for everything. They ruled everything out. And, you know, how can they have no answers? It's, Mm -hmm. you know, 2020. And how can they know so little about how this works and and really not be able to give me any kind of diagnosis or um, um, kind of reasons other than that can happen? Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, the odds are really unlikely. Um, you know, they just kept saying, we can't believe it. And <laughs> so then af- after that fourth time, we, we met with the IVF doctor again and did another battery of tests, this time on my husband and me. And again, same same results. Everything was quote unquote normal. So at that point, the, the infertility specialist said, you know, he said, most people after four miscarriages have had enough. <laughs> and I said, I think I have, <laughs> and uh, and my husband definitely has. So we we have decided to move forward with IVF, mm-hmm. and we have just received all of our insurance confirmations, and my medication is arriving today. I just got the FedEx confirmation, so we're hoping to begin the IVF journey in the next couple of weeks. So how are you feeling about it? You know, I think like many people, I'm I'm feeling grateful to have found this community of of other strong women who have come before me and mm-hmm. and I'm really seeking solace sort of in that community of people who are real warriors and uh, and grateful for their inspiration. Yeah. 
I have a few close friends who have been through IVF treatment, three very, very good friends. And again, I think it, it, as it becomes more and more common and people are more comfortable being honest about their experiences, that's been extremely helpful for me to be able to, you know, to talk to people who know me well and, and hear their experiences. I think the three friends who have done it all, all have done it for our first child and don't have the sort of other child and sort of typical pregnancy experience um, to compare it to. So, so it's, it, you know, everybody's experience is, is different. Their experience and just their sort of comfort and guidance has been has been really helpful. Yeah. And so when so with your friends that you have that have gone through treatment or in the midst of it in the thick of it like yourself, were they already there once you decided? I'm, I'm kind yeah. Of, yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so all three, sure. yeah, all three of my close friends have children that they, that they've delivered, you know, mm-hmm. um, young children okay. um, that, that they um, did IVF to conceive. Okay. And so describe for me or paint me a picture of how it felt when you went on Instagram for the first time and you searched a certain hashtag and you found all these people talking about exactly what you were feeling. Yeah, I think it was actually one of one of those three friends I mentioned who who suggested that she said, you know, I really feel like when she was going through it, she didn't really have any any friends who had done it. She was kind of the first of of our friend group to have this experience. And and so she was the one who suggested it. And, you know, I think it's a bit of a a rabbit hole, right? (laughs) I realized pretty quickly, like, wow, there are so many, so much more out there than I was even ever expected. So, but I, I think for me, it's been, it's just been really wonderful to see that everybody's experience is so different. I think for me, it was easy to just imagine the typical IVF experience Mm -hmm. being somebody who you know, had a diagnosis of something and sort of maybe knew that infertility was going to be a challenge for them. I think that might have been my expectation that that was sort of why most people needed to have IVF because they had a reason for it. And I think for it's been really helpful to see that there's so many people who really don't know why they Mm-hmm. Um, why they can't get pregnant on their own, and so it, it's been it's been really helpful, and to be able to find you know podcasts like yours and and many other resources, I think has been has been great. I, I will say that the one of the things I've navigated, and I'm sure many people, many of your listeners can resonate with this, is is sort of when you want to sort of opt in to learn more and sort of go into that space and when you maybe aren't in the mental place to be able to do that. And so I think at the beginning, especially, I needed to navigate this sort of what accounts I follow and who I have show up in my stories. And because there were definitely times where I was kind of triggered in a, in a time or space when I you know had had my child with me or just sort of wasn't ready to, to, to go there. So I think that's something to, for listeners just to think about is, is kind of being mindful of when they're, you know, kind of mentally in, in a, in a place to, to be open to, to these stories and, and this help. I totally, totally agree. Did you get counseling for your losses? I did. Yeah. I've done a couple of times, I guess, after the third and the fourth miscarriage, I did do some do some one on one therapy. And, uh, and that was helpful. I think I studied psychology. And so I really, I understand the importance of processing sort of trauma. And yeah. for me, it felt 
sort of like, okay, I need to check that box because I know it's something that I need to do. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And, uh, and I, I didn't, didn't do it um, for an extended period of time, but I did it, you know, sort of in a few few months kind of right after the losses. It's kind of like almost, you just needed those helpful reminders. Exactly. That may have been blinded by your grief and your your, your sorrow. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's why I asked. I was like, because yeah, yeah. That must be a hard position to have been in having had the education and, and kind of humbling in a way, maybe because you needed the help. You were the one needing the help, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can definitely understand that. And so how, how do you, how do you wish to move forward with IVF having your one miracle already? And what are some things you're thinking that you may do to kind of balance that all? I know that a lot of people I've spoken to who have unexplained as well as un- um, secondary infertility kind of feel guilty for wanting to go back and, and mm-hmm. have a sibling, you know? Mm-hmm. Yep. 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 I think that guilt is definitely a factor. I think, I think managing expectations is sort of where I'm at. And, and I think my husband is at as well. I think we both feel like nothing is certain and we've, we've clearly seen that many times. So I think, I think we're going into this sort of like, we're going to give this a try and we're going to see what the outcome is. Um, but I think we're both trying to be a little guarded, I guess, about kind of putting all our eggs in this basket, just because there's still so much medically unknown about will this sort of solve our challenges. And so we are planning to, we're paying for the chromosomal testing. And that's what they they think will reduce my chance of miscarriage by about 50%, but it doesn't reduce my chance of miscarriage. And so I think that's, you know, I I asked our doctor, I'm like, can you give me as many studies as you can? I want to look at the data and sort of analyze and, you know, and they're all very realistic that there's, there is some data, but there is not great data and there's not a lot of data. Again, everybody is so different. So I think we're just trying to go into this with, with open hearts and open minds and, but also being you know, realistic, I guess, that this might not necessarily be the kind of silver bullet to, you know, to allow a pregnancy to be possible for our family. You strike me as a woman who has a type personality traits. And so, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was is, right. It didn't, take, it didn't take long to figure that out. Yes. <laughs> well, it takes one to know one, right? It takes one to know one. <laughs> so I was going to ask you, how has the experience with all of your losses and dealing with secondary as well as unexplained infertility, how, like, I remember it messing with my ego a little bit, as well mm-hmm. as forcing me to kind of tap into my feminine energy a little bit more and letting down my walls and becoming more vulnerable. And so tell me what that's been like for you trying to transition from this always being the analytical side, especially at work and career, right? And then dealing with something that kind of forces you back into your most vulnerable spaces? Yeah, really, really good question. Thank you for asking. I I think, and again, I I hope that this can be an area that that other listeners can can understand and appreciate, because I I think there's probably many people that, you know, struggle with the same thing. I think, Mm -hmm. I think for me, I've always been such a planner that I was able to have a plan and execute the plan. And, and this is a situation where so much of the sort of control is gone. And, and, you know, there's only so much you can do, right? I I feel like the amount of, of time and energy over the last four years, I've spent like 
calendar planning, right? With the ovulation tracker, I can't even (laughs) admit, I mean, right? Because I'm like, okay, well, if we get pregnant this cycle, then I would be due then. And then I would, and in the pregnancy that I, in all the pregnancies that I've had, I've been very, very sick. And so I'm always planning like, okay, so for now, for nine months, I will be, you know, puking all the time and sort of out of commission. (laughs) Um, So I think I can't help that, right? I, I can't help sort of do the the forward thinking and and even after two or three losses where I knew that was detrimental, right? Stop imagining the due date and thinking through the logistics of like birthdays, right? I couldn't help but go there um, every single time. And again, sort of tracking the the ovulation cycle and, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. peeing on so many strips. <laughs> my my husband joked we should have bought stuff. We should have bought stock and, you know, clear blue or something <laughs> oh my god if everyone in the community had bought a little bit of stocks we'd all be able to share a pool of money exactly. with one another aye, aye, aye. and I had a few close mom friends who would get pregnant and then they'd say oh you can have my old ovulation strips um, I'll take them <laughs> right oh my god um, you know um, so I, unbelievable but I think um again that that with a type a personality you and in some ways IVF feels helpful in that way, right? Because it's really clear cut and I can yeah. do all the steps and I can set up the insurance details and get the pharmacy stuff figured out. And I can mm-hmm. sort of move through a very clearly defined checklist in a way that feels like I'm moving forward versus sort of certainly know where I'm moving in it, where I had been going, right? It wasn't forward. I don't know. <laughs> so I, I do think for me, mentally, I think feeling like we have a path with IVF. Is, is something that I have been sort of, I guess, pleasantly surprised to feel. Yeah, I agree. I, I kind of felt the same way because it felt like, okay, I can at least control, like, okay, the fact that my period is coming this month and I'm going to call the nurse's station and let them know that my period's arrived and just having this meticulous planned out way of things, the way they're going to um, transpire based on how my body reacts to the meds and if the embryo fertilizes and yeah, so I definitely, definitely resonate with that. And I know that so many other men and women listening will resonate with it as well. And I also wanted to ask you how, if I may, you can tell me no if you want, but how has this experience affected your relationship with your spouse? Yeah, it, definitely a challenge. I think, I, I guess I would be really frank that I think the, the sex aspect has been a real challenge if you think about basically three years worth of needing to have sex at a certain time when we're in the window, (laughs) that takes a toll when you're doing that over and over and over and over again. That that has been definitely a challenge. And I, I think, again, I think that's so true. And I think this community has helped me to see that that's so common and that that wasn't unique to our relationship. Yeah, yeah, it's so validating too, isn't it? When you go on with, Instagram, with couples, yeah, yeah it's so validating. And yeah, it doesn't even matter like if it's a same sex married couple or whatever. It's just like the grief is still the the grief is the same yet so very different because the RB situation is different. But just the validation of the community, it's why I encourage people to 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 join, even if it's with a private page, because it feels good. It feels exactly. good. It feels absolutely. Really good. 
I completely agree. I think I think the other thing is just the the miscarriage aspect of the relationship. I think yeah. for me, I I have to be the one to physically live through them. Mm-hmm. All of them have have been natural. I haven't had procedure DNCs or anything, so okay. pass them all naturally. So and everyone, it's been very different. And you know, they're tracking your HCG levels every twenty four hours. And you know, one of them took like three and a half weeks to to fully pass. I think that the the relationship piece of that is just, I think it's so hard for the partner or the spouse who just literally can't help you physically mm-hmm. get through it. And they, in my case, I think he just so badly wished he could have taken away some of the, the physical pain in, in a way that is just impossible to do so. And, and again, I think the way that we process and the, mm-hmm. the timeline at which we process is, is just different. And um, I think it's much easier for him to compartmentalize, right? And, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. I think he was wonderful at always having hope and always being sort of optimistic. And, and sometimes it would drive me crazy because <laughs> I'm like, how do you, you, you can't, you can't know that. You know, you're there, there, you're not grounded in nothing. You know, you're just saying that because you think it's going to make me feel better. And, but, but I think that's helpful in some way, but it it feels at the time like it's not helpful because there's really when people would say, like, oh, it's going to all work out or, you know, this is all part of the plan or those sorts of comments would always drive me crazy (laughs) and make me spin because it's like you don't know that you're just saying that because you think it's the right thing to say or you think it will help me to to feel better so I think it's complicated and uh, and I think with having another child I think the way that my husband could be the most helpful was just to be helpful in the parenting category right Mm -hmm. like to do all the other Mm -hmm. parts of life that I couldn't do when I was, you know, both physically and sort of mentally in a really dark place as we were going through miscarriages and for him to be able to, you know, kind of deal with the the childcare and the cooking and the cleaning and like all the things that were stressing me out, but that I couldn't really accomplish was really helpful. But again, sort of taking on a lot plus sort of going through your own grief and and feelings. It's it's a really difficult position for the, the partner to be in and and I think he hasn't really seeked out a community in the same way okay. um, that I have. D- despite me sort of suggesting it and recommending it, yeah. I think he he really isn't in a place that he is ready to do that. Have you guys found a way to honor your babies that have gone gone on? We we, ha- we haven't. We've we've sort of chosen not to sort of you know do milestone celebrations or okay. birthdays or you know I think every, everybody sort of handles it differently so we have chosen not to I think all of my miscarriages were early which doesn't change the this you know still the same grief and uh, okay. challenge but so that's you know the choice that, that we've made of course there's days where you do the like oh this would have been our due date or you know mm-hmm. those kind of things but we haven't really um, celebrated them in any you know, kind of concrete way so I want to ask you to close out the conversation because I don't want to hold you too much longer. What would you say if you were standing face to face with infertility? I think I would say why. For the friends listening, I'm pretty sure that you two have some of the same questions or the same exact question that Laura has asked. And that's why. And I tell you guys a lot on social media that, you know, it's just so damn unfair. And although we don't have the question, the answer as to where infertility even came from, it just, mm. it's become so common now. It's like, 
even though it's still so taboo, it is it's you just see how common it is when you connect with people online, but it's still so very taboo. And I think that by having conversations like these and we share them with our loved ones if we choose or mm-hmm. we at least have the open dialogues, we can move from the why and just going into how we can how we can move forward and not necessarily solve it but how we can make the journey less fucking difficult let's be honest Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know and I I I often wonder the same thing like why you know and we and and I'm pretty sure there's there's been thousands and millions of women over the course of human life who have dealt with with similar but it just seems to me like in today's day and age it's just one in eight that's mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's a lot. That's one in eight in the grocery store, you know, one in eight at your office where you work or one in eight anywhere you go. One in eight. Mm. Well, I thank you, dear. So thank much you. for your bravery and just giving space for yourself today. Yeah. Thank you. If you enjoyed today's episode, friend. Take a screenshot and let me know on Instagram and tag Infertility and Me Podcast. You can also reach me at infertilityandmepodcast.com with your questions, comments, and feedback.